Thanks, honey. I like her. We got to go on a real date last night, so not like a 60-minute date. I'm talking about a, like a four-hour date. Marie Kelly, is she in the house today? Where's Marie? Is she here? No, she, she watched our kids for four hours last night, so she was at first service. Okay, cool. Uh, so she made it. Wow, that's surprising. Watching our kids for four hours is like watching them for, somebody else's kids for eight. So we did dinner and a movie, so it was a real date. Very exciting and uh, pretty awesome. Well, guys, we're in a, a series called Keystone, talking about habits, and we're going to jump right in. I, I believe the, the message and the information that you're going to get today uh, has the power to absolutely change your life, if you will, apply it. So we're going to jump right in. And I, I love this topic. I love this idea of habits and Keystone habits and all that. So we're going we're gonna to jump right in and uh, buckle up. Let's go. In 2016, the world watched as Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps won his world record 23rd gold medal. Do we have any Phelps fans here? They're called Phelps Flippers, right? It's the, the fan club. No, I just made that up. Uh, but I like Michael Phelps. Pretty amazing. Uh, I do want to just put it on record on the internet that everyone would know that I only have 23 less gold medals than Michael Phelps. Uh, so just in case anyone wanted to know about my swimming prowess. Now to give you some context about how amazing it is that he has 23 gold medals, the next closest Olympian uh, historically in the modern age, we don't know how many naked Greek people won medals you know, in, in uh, ancient history. I'll just let you think about that for a second. But uh, in the modern age, uh, the, the closest, next closest Olympian only has nine gold medals. What a loser, <laughs> right? Uh, Michael Phelps though has 23. He actually has 28 total medals, so only five uh, mix of bronze and silver because he just, I mean, why try, right? It's kind of like he only wants to win gold. Uh, now, to top it off, Phelps, at the time that he won his 23rd record winning gold medal, was 31 years old and considered to be out of his prime. How many of you would love to be out of your prime like that? <laughs> Phelps is admittedly physically gifted, so if you've l looked into his swimming uh, prowess, he, his body shape and style, structure, whatever, it does actually lend itself to being a good swimmer. But uh, if we dig deeper into that, that's really not the secret of his success. That's actually not what has put him at, on a pedestal above every other athlete in the Olympic history and every other swimmer, um, because he actually has some pretty major disadvantages, which you may or may not know of. So when Michael Phelps was a young boy, he was told that he had severe ADHD and that he would never, ever be able to focus on anything. His coach, Bob Bowman, can we get somebody to turn the metronome off? Sorry, I, it'll time me too much in my preaching. Thanks so much, Kyle. Thank you, Kyle. Give him a hand. Appreciate you. Um, if you don't know what a metronome is, just a tick-tock, tick-tock. For somebody like me, it just it has to stop. Okay. So he was diagnosed with ADHD, told he'd never be able to focus on anything, uh, and his coach, Bob Bowman, who coached him since he was the age of 11, reported that he spent lots of time on the side of the pool for bad behavior. How many of you relate to this? Get off the side of the pool. This type of behavior has cropped up from time to time in his adult life as well. He's, not, he's done some, some bad stuff. Um, but it's pretty amazing that his mom uh, could say and that his coach could say that his focus is amazing. His coach actually called his focus, right, the thing that he wasn't supposed to be able to do, his strongest attribute, so how did this happen? Where, where did this come from? How can a boy who was told that he'd never be able to focus on anything uh, be able to achieve, achieve so much? Well, here's the answer. Phelps became a person of selected discipline. Say the word discipline with me. Discipline. 
You lack discipline. From age 14 through the Beijing Olympics, Felt trained seven days a week, 365 days a year. He figured by training on Sundays, he got a 52 training day advantage on the competition. In addition, he spent six hours in the water each day, which again, for the record, is only six hours more than I spend in the water each day. He was able to channel all of his energy into one discipline that developed into one habit, that of swimming daily. And it was that habit that led to his success. So we're in a series, we're talking about habits. But today I want to kind of take a step back. Bethany did a masterful job last week of talking about the the habit of daily Bible reading. And how many of you were challenged and encouraged by that and want to do that? And I'm going to kind of piggyback off of, of what she did because I know how to look at success and follow in its footsteps. Come on. It's kind of like drafting, right? Find the fastest one and get behind him. That's my strategy. That's why I married Bethany, so I could just draft, you know, in life. And every once in a while, I'll peek out, lead the pack, get some chairs, and then fall back into place. You know what I mean? But uh, she did a wonderful job. But we're talking about habits. What I want to do is I want to kind of expand out to the 30,000-foot overview and talk about some sort of fundamental principles and ideas about habits and discipline. And specifically today, I want to talk about the idea of inevitable success. Now, how many of you, uh, you already know the, the, the definition of inevitable, but let me give it to you uh, in, in adjective form as we apply it to the word success. It means certain to happen, unavoidable. Uh, and how many of you know that it's a good idea when those things, the, the crossing guards come down at the train tracks, you should stay on the other side? How many of you would agree with me today? I want to get quick wins. Yes. You know, get some agreement here today. We should stay on the other side. Have you ever seen those people that think they can beat the system? They do this little move right here. And often what happens is, you know, and totally get plowed. Have a nice day. See you guys next week. You know, it's, um, it's negative, but, but there's something inevitable about train tracks. Uh, when I was a kid, one thing that was gr- ingrained in my mind was the movie Fried Green Tomatoes. Do you remember this? How many of you have any Fried Green Tomatoes fans? Okay. I don't even know if it's a good movie. I mean, I saw it when I was like seven or eight. I don't know, but maybe it's a bad movie. I don't know. So don't, don't take a recommendation if it's not good. But there's a scene in the movie where I think the boy's name is Buddy. Is that his name? No, Buddy. I still am sad about Buddy. Buddy gets his shoes stuck in the railroad tie, in the railroad track, and he introduces himself to a train. So that's what happens in the movie. There's something inevitable about train tracks, something inevitable. It's going to happen at some point. And in life, I really believe, I'm going to give you this thesis statement today, that success is like parking your car on the railroad tracks eventually, that you can actually get to this level of inevitability where when you do the right things or position yourself, there's a secret. It's very, very simple. It's not easy, but it's simple that success can be inevitable as a train, that it is unavoidable, that you position yourself and it's certain to happen. Now, is this even possible? Because here's how most people think about success. And I think we all probably fall into this category of thinking this way about success, whether it is in our spiritual walk with God, whether it's in our marriage or our finances or health or whatever area of life it is, we tend to think about success like this. Number one, we think about success as this elusive thing that a few people achieve, and it's mostly because they got lucky. Right? How many of you have thought this before? Well, man, they just hit the lottery. Like they, they got so lucky. People look at me, they're like, they see Bethany and they're like, huh, what a lucky guy. And I, I'm like, I have to admit that's true. Sheer, utter chance and luck. But this is how we view success. And oftentimes we'll kind of say that jealously, like, ah, they just got lucky. They just, they, they invested in, 
in IBM in 1947, and they just got lucky. They invested in Apple in you know, 1989 when Steve Jobs wasn't even there or whatever, and they just got lucky. And sure, that happens from time to time, but the reality is that success, and specifically the inevitable kind of success, that successful people tend to make a habit of is not something that comes about by chance or luck. Another way we look at success is that people are just innately brilliant or gifted. How many of you have ever said of someone that was really good at something, they're gifted, right? And we, we basically what we're saying is when they were a, a kid, you know, the, the gods came down and Zeus touched their forehead and now they're really, really good sing at singing or they're really, really good at chess or whatever. And sure, there are some documented cases of what we know as prodigies or savants. And most of the time, those savants that are incredible or gifted in the sense that we think about are actually extremely limited in another area. So for instance, somebody that has a photographic memory and what's called an eidetic memory, oftentimes they can't actually not forget or they can't forget. There we go. Wow, my grammar in English is terrible. You can tell I'm not gifted. Uh, but inevitably, if I keep talking, it will be, I'll be successful. That's what I've lived my life on that principle. As even now, I'm just carrying on. I don't know what to say next, but if I keep letting words come out, eventually I will land the plain eidetic memory, the person with a photographic memory. We think, oh, what, how, how amazing would that be to remember everything? Well, yeah, but what about every bad day and every bad moment of your life? So oftentimes what we call someone who's a savant, they actually have a limitation that balances them out. So giftedness is really not it. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a, a musical person. I play music and I've played music and different instruments for a long time. And I kind of have a little knack where I can kind of pick up an instrument and tend to be able to just sort of play it. Uh, if you hand me a guitar, I can embarrass myself to a point of maybe looking like I know what I'm doing. A ukulele, harmonica, I play the bass a little bit, the drums, piano. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually really good at the piano or really good at the drums. And I'm not bragging. I mean, I'm just, I can play those instruments, right? Uh, and people will say to me sometimes, or if they know that I play music, like, man, you're really gifted uh, at the piano. And I, I laugh internally if I don't laugh in their face, but I laugh on the inside because when I was 13 years old, uh, I had, I played the drums and I practiced and I did my rudiments and any drummers in the room know paradiddle, paradiddle, para, paradiddle, para, para, paradiddle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? My wife does because she plays drums. Anybody else? Rudiments on those annoying plastic pads, right? for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. So then when I was playing the drums, people say, you're gifted. Well, not really. And then when I was 13, I wanted to write songs. And if you don't know this, it's pretty hard to write melodies on the drums. Other than bum, 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 That's about all you can do. And honestly, that song's not breaking the top 40 anytime soon. So I was writing songs and, or trying to write songs and I said, mom, can you show me how to play the piano? She said, sure. She showed me how to make a chord and she did this weird Spider-Man move with her hand. And I couldn't even do that. Uh, I, I played chords like a three-toed sloth. That's what I did. It's wrong. Anybody that plays <laughs> piano, yeah. Uh, and so I started to do it like this and that was wrong. And, and so eventually I, I, I developed the dexterity to play it kind of like this and get all my fingers involved into the action. And, and, uh, and, and I started to play chords and started to learn. And I got so passionate and excited about it that uh, from the age of about 13 to 14, that whole summer, and maybe I think it was about that age, I played the piano like six to 10 hours a day, every day. So then at the end of that year, after putting in however many hundreds of hours of practice and playing and goofing off and writing music and all that, people would say, wow, you're really gifted. Um, sure. 
You see, oftentimes we look at someone who is good at something or has put in, you know, that we say, well, they're, they're, they're gifted. And maybe they are. Maybe they did start with some kind of a talent or something that was there. But the reality is that success oftentimes in life comes as the result of discipline and practice, right? And so this view of success is, is actually incorrect of it being just sheer luck or just because of innate uh, brilliance. That's not really true. The reality is that success in life, and really every category, your health, your, your finances, your, your spirituality, all of these things, really anything meaningful in life, success in all of these areas is about as predictable as mathematics. So like as clear as day, as we know that four plus four equals nine, we can know. <laughs> Let's try that again. Four plus four equals eight. Thank you. I'm a pastor. I'm not a mathematician, right? I have not practiced. I'm not gifted like some of you at these things that we call math. Yeah, write that down. I heard somebody say, write that down. <laughs> Don't write that down. Um, success in life is, can be as inevitable as mathematics if you know how it works. So how many of you would like to know the secret? Yes? Should I just bring it back next week or would you like to know? Okay, you want to know. All right, this, here's the secret. You're going to look past it, okay? I'm going to just set this up. It's not shocking and it's not profound. It's just true. Uh, it's this. The success in life is inevitable. Or I'm sorry, let me repeat this. Do it again. I'm messing it up. See, I need to be more disciplined. Here's the secret. Consistent daily discipline creates inevitable success. Three simple words, consistent daily discipline, creates inevitable success in every category of life. How many of you are familiar with the 10,000 hour rule? Have you heard the 10,000 hour rule? Malcolm Gladwell popularized, uh, popularized this. Um, there's a book that I recommend. It's called Talent is Overrated. And it kind of tells the true story behind some of these people that we look at as brilliant genius, you know, geniuses or insanely gifted people. And they point out that actually what we call brilliance is really the byproduct of extreme consistent discipline. For instance, Tiger Woods. How many of you know Tiger Woods is kind of good at golf? Um, until he started, you know, doing crazy stuff and crashing his car and doing drugs. But before that, and now again, thank God, because I like Tiger. Come on, I want him to win. Go Tiger, right? We want people to succeed. We don't want him to blow up their life. But Tiger Woods, pretty dang amazing at golf. I remember watching him in his red shirt win the PGA Open or whatever it was, the Masters. Like, it's a, a pretty amazing. But when you look at his life, he, he's not a gifted person. His dad sawed a golf club uh, down to the size. And so as a three-year-old, his dad, Earl, was teaching him how to swing. Okay, and he was making him repeat that motion. So here comes Tiger, a 16, 17, or 18 year old, and it looks like popped onto the scene, right? As a fully formed god of golf, but that's not the story. The, the real story is that talent is overrated. It's about consistent daily discipline. And this is what creates success in life. This is what creates success or can lead you to success. Now, Pastor Jake, are you saying that if we just are disciplined every day, nothing bad's ever gonna happen? We're gonna win at everything we do. We'll all be rich, we'll all be powerful, we'll all find love. No, some of you, some of you won't. Luckily, I found all of those things already. But for, for some of you more unlucky people, that's not going to happen. No, I'm just teasing. But um, that was, I love my jokes sometimes. I have fun up here, whether you guys do or not. Uh, I just enjoy, I enjoy this. But no, life has a way of knocking us all down a peg here and there. And not everything is always going to turn up roses. Are, are you with me? Um, but successful people in the aggregate tend to win in life based on their application of principles and discipline and choosing to do something consistently and not give up. Because if you give up, you, you get yourself out of the, the game, right? And so you have to stay in it. But in the aggregate, success it can be as inevitable as mathematics and daily 
consist, consistent daily discipline is what can create that in every area of life. So here's the thing, though. I really believe that, and I'll stand behind that, and we can talk about all the research and everything that, that really supports this, both secularly and uh, biblically, theologically. I believe this is embedded into the Bible. We're going to read some scriptures and talk about this as well uh, from that perspective. But uh, there's a thing you need to understand, a caveat, if you will, sort of a, a clause in this contract that I'm handing to you saying, because uh, I really do believe that success is, as, is inevitable with consistent daily discipline. But here's the, the clause. Um, it's impossible to be disciplined forever. So I don't know about you, but I'm a human being. And uh, as a human being, I find that even if I am disciplined all the time, there's always a time when I'm not. And it's always the donut that I decide to eat, breaking discipline that crushes the diet rather than the seven days that I didn't eat it. Are you with me? So the thing about discipline is that discipline is like an engine that is powered with this hard to come by thing called willpower, right? A great man once said, the only thing I can't resist is temptation. (laughs) Powered by willpower. Uh, That's what discipline, it's like the fuel that, that feeds the fire of discipline is willpower. Now, willpower is like a muscle. You can develop it, you can stretch it, you can grow it. But eventually, no matter how much willpower you have, eventually you reach the limits of your willpower. And essentially at that point, your discipline breaks and you miss out on the cycle of the consistent daily discipline, therefore missing inevitable success. So you go, well, you just gave us half of an equation now because now we're not going to be successful because we can't do it. Yes, that's true. But there's a way to get around this. This is where habits come in. So if you remember, we're in a series talking about habit, keystone. Now a keystone habit uh, is a habit that makes a disproportionate impact on everything else. So it's like the first domino that falls and it knocks down all the rest. And now how many of you have an insatiable desire to watch domino videos on YouTube like I do after saying that? It's fun to do. It's a great way to waste some time when you need to do that. But habits, uh, a keystone habit is like something that makes a disproportionate positive or negative, but for our intents and purposes, uh, a positive impact on the rest of things. And Bethany talked about the keystone habit of reading your Bible every day. And so we're talking about these uh, keystone habits. Now, again, if, if discipline comes from willpower, but we're going to run out of willpower at some point, what do we do? Here's where it, habits come in. Successful people in every area of life that practice inevitable success, what they figure out is to use their willpower to form a discipline for long enough to form a habit. Because a habit, psychologically, and how it works, and this is all scientifically proven, I don't have time to go into all the research, but you can read The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg or different books on this topic. What they found is this. Our brains work basically with a cue uh, and a reward. And so when you're able to sort of program that, you can cue your brain in to sort of go into autopilot so you don't spend any willpower, and it kind of gives you this ability to be disciplined every day without the exertion of very much willpower. That's where habits come in. So what people that are successful have figured out to do is to use enough willpower to get enough discipline going to get to the point where they form a habit. Are you with me? And when you can form a habit, you basically autopilot your success as long as you maintain that habit and you don't you know, interrupt that cycle or break it through self-sabotage, which is a totally different sermon and another topic. So today for our purposes, I want to talk about how to achieve inevitable success in our relationship with God. Now, as I go into this, I want to say, There is no such thing as formulaic relationship with God. There's not, 
it's not a machine. God is not like a, a vending machine where you put a quarter in and the Snickers bar comes out. And I think it would be false of me to try to indicate to you that that is how it is. That's not been my experience in any relationship with any human being or with God. Uh, a relationship is not something that is uh, just, an, organi uh, just a, an organization or just something mechanical. A relationship is organic and it requires, it, it, it's, it's not just one for one, if that makes sense. Are you with me? So when I say how to achieve inevitable success in relationship with God, I'm not saying you can do something to get to God. That's basically what religion says. We know uh, as Christians that we actually couldn't get to God. Therefore, he sent us Christ. So it's by grace that we are saved by uh, you know, faith in what Jesus did for us. But I do believe that there is a way to add discipline to this intimate, organic relationship with God that allows us to have the true magic, the true romance of a relationship, if I could use that word, uh, uh, with God. Because here's what I found. In marriage, yes, I love my wife. I feel feelings of love. As we were sitting last night consuming mass quantities of Cajun French fries and buffalo wings, looking deeply into each other's eyes as I was also deeply checking on the uh, NFL game that was happening in the background, but focusing mostly on her, her focusing on me, of course, uh, <laughs> how it ought to be. We, we felt feelings of love. At least I did. I'm assuming she did. I, you know, I hope she did, but I I'm deeply in love with my wife and emotions. I feel all the time emotions and I, I'm passionate for her. I love her. Uh, but, but, but the thing is, if we didn't schedule our date night, we wouldn't get to these positions where we can have the magic. Does that make sense? Because it's too busy in life and too hectic and too crazy. So what you'll find is that the most romantic married couples, it's not like every day they fall out of bed, like passionately in love and everything's like sunshine and roses. Your kids like do weird stuff and you have to take them to the emergency room and like their stress and finances. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Therefore, the application of discipline and structure into organic relationships is actually necessary for the preservation of said relationship. And so it is with God. So let's apply all this stuff that we're talking about and bring it to a close. So a consistent daily discipline of spending time with God is the key. Just like we talked about, a consistent daily discipline leads to success in every area of life. When it comes to a relationship with God, I would say the keystone, the, the thing, the big domino, as it were, is having a consistent daily discipline of spending some time with God. And I promise you this, this one practice will change your life. It's a keystone habit. It's a habit that impacts and improves every area, other area of your life. So again, you don't maybe have this habit yet, okay? But that's okay. You can get there. You have to exert some willpower, build a discipline, and then the habit can form. But when you do get this habit, it can impact your life powerfully, powerfully. So practically, this just means setting aside time every day. Say it with me, every day. And I would add preferably in the morning just to make it the first thing. I know some people aren't morning people, whatever, but I think something about the first part of your day. If the first part of your day is noon, then make that, you know, when you give it to God. To set aside, to read your Bible and pray, okay? To read your Bible and pray. Now, I don't have time to go into this full defense of why we read the Bible, but what I'll say is this, is that it is the, uh, it is the, the revelation of God's character and his story as told through the lens of different human beings inspired by the Holy Spirit. And you get, you get a picture of God. So we get a picture of God and we, we begin to understand the character and the nature of God, what his expectation is of us. And it begins to change and shift our worldview as Bethany talked about last week. And then to pray, prayer, prayer is simply talking with God. We'll talk more about that next week. So let's jump into the word real quick. Very short passage of scripture. 
Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says, But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. What is it talking about? But what? Well, the reason there's a but here is because Jesus, 13-year-olds are laughing in the room when I say that, but uh, Jesus was, had a lot of demands and pressure on his time. He was healing people. He was feeding people. People were always coming up to him like, you should make garlic bread this time. Seriously, Jesus. Like you did the whole, the, the, the rye bread last week. We really want the garlic bread this week. That's a joke. Okay. Um, Jesus had a lot of pressure on him, but it says he often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Now, the key word here, we could focus in on prayer, wilderness, Jesus. We could focus in on all these other words, withdrew. But the word that I think really we need to look at is the word often. Because the word often is giving us a little bit of a lens or a glimpse into the practice of our Lord, the practice of Christ that he had something that was done regularly. He often withdrew for prayer. We look at the practice of Jesus and we can derive a principle of Jesus, that Jesus did something regularly because why? Because he was exerting willpower to build a discipline to lead to what? A habit. Jesus often withdrew for prayer. Now, I think oftentimes we think of Jesus as superhuman, and he, he is, obviously, he's fully God, fully man, but on this planet, he was living and operating as a human being, giving us an example of how to live and have a relationship with God. So we should take an example here. This word often is so valuable that the power of consistency will trump the power of anything else every single time. We were talking about something deeply spiritual and theological, myself and uh, Rick and, and uh, Shirley before, right? We were talking about something very deep spiritual, which is football. Uh, Oregon Ducks specifically, God's teams. Oregon Ducks, 49ers, go Niners. Come on, how many people are Christians in here? Yes, that's good. Uh, I just want to just say really quick, because I know we're running out of time, but this is probably the most important thing I say today, is that if you root for the Seahawks, that's like really close to rooting for the Huskies. So think about your life. Yeah. Just think about the trajectory of your soul, your destiny. Yeah. Okay. I don't hate the Huskies. Yes, I do. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> Psalms chapter one says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. This is a picture of what it looks like to be living a life of inevitable success in your relationship with God that the joys of those who do not follow in the advice of the wicked. But there's a key word here. They delight in the law of the Lord. And this word here, meditating, meditate. You can put that up on the screen. Meditation, uh, when you look into what this word is like, it's like a cow that chew, chews the cud, right? It's a, they're ruminants, uh, consistently chewing, 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 getting everything out of it, right? Getting all of the nutrients and making sure they get all of it out of it. This is how we are to be with God's word, with God's law, speaking specifically for our purposes today of the, the Bible, of getting into the Bible every day and letting it fill you, letting it be uh, abiding in it, sticking with it. How many of you ever saw the show DuckTales a little while, you know, the old cartoon? And you remember Scrooge McDuck, what he would do? It's not old. You're right. Come on. I like this. I like that. 
what would he do? He would swim in his money. So if you haven't seen this, you got to look it up. But Scrooge, he would jump off a diving board into his piles of gold. That's the only reason I want to make money in life. It's not, I don't care about cars and houses. I want to swim in the gold like Scrooge McDuck. Now, unfortunately, as an adult, you realize you'd probably break your neck if you jumped into metal. But in the cartoon, he swims in it. Now, it's a weird analogy, but let's take it for what it's worth. It's a picture of how we are to be with God's word, like every day getting in deeply, diving in, letting it fill. So this word meditating, it's this continual chewing on it, chewing on it, chewing on it, thinking about it. Have you ever heard the term mull it over, right? You ever seen the old, the old guy who sits outside and he's chewing on a piece of straw or something, you know? I do it with real plastic straws. It's probably bad for me. But there's that picture of somebody just mulling something over, chewing on it. That's how we are to be with God's word. And that, my friends, is what will lead to inevitable success. You will be parking the car of your life on the train tracks of a successful relationship with God, a, a, a living, dynamic, passionate, intimate friendship with God. My friend Judah, my friend. <laughs> Love you, buddy. You're all right. You're all right. We've all done it. Um, you'll park your car on the train tracks. When, when you're with him, when you're spending that time, when you're meditating, it's like chewing the cuds. So let me give you some practical steps here. How do we put this into play? Number one, I want to ask you to commit for 30 days. So research shows that it takes about 30 to 45, 30 to 60 days to form a habit so if you go, okay, I'm going to do this, and then three days later you're not, you're probably not going to get to this place of habit. So I just want to say, hey, if you could take the next 30 days, I think tomorrow is what, January 13th? And look, is that right? Okay, and then up to February 13th. What if every day you did this? What if you committed 15 to 30 minutes per day? There's no deep spiritual principle. It's just a sacrificial amount of time, but not a freaky amount of time, right? It's not like, hey, for three hours, read your Bible tomorrow. No, 15 to 30 minutes. Give up a Netflix sitcom. Wake up 15 minutes early. Whatever you need to do. Start with a worship song just to quiet and prepare your heart and mind. You know, many times I wake up in the morning, I immediately get on Twitter, Facebook, look at my email. People are emailing me. I see the problems of the world and I'm, all of a sudden I'm, I'm in a position of disquiet. I'm like all stirred up. And I come to the place of prayer. I come, you know, to, the, to my uh, mother-in-law's chair and I sit in her wonderful rocking chair. Thank you, Esther. I appreciate it. <laughs> get my coffee, and I have to put on some worship music to get my heart quiet, my mind quiet. Take a deep breath. Lord, I'm here. God, I'm here to hear, hear from you. I want to meet with you today. Speak to me from your word. Then, in a quiet heart and mind, read a passage of scripture. I'm not talking about getting a cute little picture with a beach with one verse written on it. You kind of take it in. It's like the equivalent of one of those little air fresheners just kind of gives you a little freshener in your life. No, that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to dive all the way in, okay? And so you need to get into a passage of scripture. If you didn't know this, the, the chapters and verses that we see, you know, chapter one, verse three, that wasn't added until I think the 1500s. Actually, originally it was just written as a book. So the book of Matthew or the book of uh, Job, it was just a, a, you know, a whole scroll, a whole writing. And there's, a, there's narrative and there's a flow and there's structure there apart from this rigid kind of thing uh, imprinted on top. Now, there's nothing wrong with, I'm not saying go find Bibles that don't have that. I'm not, don't get weird about this. The point is just that when you read scripture, you should look for the natural thing that's being spoken in each passage, okay? So you read that and then you can use more soap, which is, I think, a good principle for many reasons. 
But use SOAP, and this just stands for this. Go, it's a practice of how you read the Bible. Scripture, observation, application, prayer. Read a scripture, read a passage, then observe what is being spoken here. What is the, what is the content? What is being, uh, what was it, what was being written to the original people here? What, what is the point of this? What's being said? And then application, how do you apply it to you? How can you take God's word that you read today and actually put it into practice? So we read Psalms 1. If we were looking at that, I would say my passage is Psalms chapter 1. I've read through Psalms chapter 1, and I've observed this is what's being spoken of. This is the, 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 the imagery that's being used. People that delight in God's law, that meditate. What does it mean to meditate? You can use a simple word search in an app like Logos Bible to just click on meditate. It'll pop up and say the Hebrew word means this and this and this and this and this. You can begin to derive some meaning from that. It's your observation. And in the application, I would say, maybe I'd write down, I'm going to spend more time and deeper time with God from day to day. And then you would pray, Lord, I just come before you today and I thank you that you've given me the ability to have a relationship with you through the word and prayer, that I can come into your presence because of what you've done for me and begin to pray that thing that you've just gone through. And then the last step is watch your life change. Watch your life change. I guarantee you, if you will put this into practice, if you will make this a, exert your willpower, build a discipline, consistent daily discipline, it'll form a habit and you will see inevitable success. And you can apply this in so many areas of life, but I want to encourage you to apply it in your relationship with God. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You know, today, uh, there's people that come every week that are looking for answers, looking for hope, looking for life, looking for something. And maybe you had an inkling like, I need to get my life right with God. Maybe you were at church at some point in your life, you had a bad experience and you went away. I don't know. What I do know is that God brought all of us here today to hear this message and to hear this message that I'm going to tell you right now, that God loves you so much. He loves you so much that he made provision to pay for your sins and my sins he sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross for our sins, pay the penalty, pay the price that we deserve to pay and make a way for us to be right with him, to be brought into his family. And so if you're here today and you're like, Pastor Jake, that sounds pretty good. I want to be part of God's family, but you know, I, I'm not perfect. I'm not, I don't deserve it. Like, yeah, that's, that's welcome to the club. It's about grace. It's about receiving what God did for you, not because you deserve it, but because of his great and incredible love. So what we do to receive that is we, we just accept it by faith. We believe that God did that and we receive it by faith. One of the ways we do that is we just pray a prayer just to kind of mark it. It's not like the prayer makes you a Christian, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's like a line in the sand saying, I'm choosing to believe that God did this for me, that Jesus died for my sins and that I can follow him. And I'm making a decision to follow him, follow his leading in my life. And he's gonna give you amazing things, give you everlasting life, fresh start, it's going to begin to transform you from the inside out. So if that's you and you're like, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. I want to follow Jesus. Would you just raise your hand so I can see? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I want to trust in Jesus for my salvation. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I give you my life and I receive yours. I receive you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Amen.